Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our text is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and they say, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul tells us that this is a gospel message, that people need to realize that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died for our sins on a cross. He was buried and rose on the third day, and he's alive according to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are true and without error, and so we can rely upon them. So those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're the ones who have faith. Those are the ones who are saved. Those are the ones who have a eternity in the presence of Christ. Those who do not have Christ, the Bible calls sinners, and they need grace. They need to be saved. They need to come into relationship with Christ. I pray that all of us that are listening to this broadcast today will have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today I'd like to talk to you about the subject of legacy giving. Canada's National Bible Hour has been on the air consistently over the last 88 years. A lot of people that listen to this broadcast know that Premier William Abelhart started the broadcast back in September of 1927. He started the broadcast uh, doing mainly prophetic kind of messages 
and uh, God blessed it, and it grew. Eventually, he turned the radio broadcast over to the Honorable Ernest C. Manning, and of course, Brother Manning had the broadcast for the next 33 years, and of course, he really enlarged the outreach. It went past Alberta, all across Canada, and even to the northern U.S., and many of Brother Manning's messages were prophetic as well, although he did teach a lot on evangelism, uh, the gospel, how to receive Christ your Savior. He also did a lot of discipleship things that to help people to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So we have quite a good foundation. And then back in 1990, Dr. James Blackwood, who was the president of Global Outreach at that time, took over the broadcast when Brother Manning was no longer able to uh, sustain it. So Global Outreach has really been responsible for this broadcast uh, since that time. So for the last 25 years, We've actually funded this broadcast and kept it on the air. This broadcast, over its 88-year history, has always been funded by legacy giving. And what I mean by that is that people would include Canada's National Bible Hour in their will. The funds would would come to uh, the ministry, and we were able to use those funds to buy up the radio time. Every week when you turn on Canada's National Bible Hour, uh, that time is actually paid for by someone who remembered us in his or her will. And so through the years, the broadcast time has been funded by these people who were blessed by the broadcast and wanted to support it into the future. And of course, the the broadcast production and the studio and the equipment and the time and the effort to put this broadcast together, of course, is all borne by Global Outreach Mission. And we've been willing and, and thankful for the privilege of spending mission funds so that this broadcast could continue on because we believe it's it's vital in this day and age. And I do believe that the base in Canada United States has to be re-evangelized. We need to pray for revival, that God will bless us once again. And I believe Canada's National Bible Hour is the one broadcast that is able to preach the true gospel of Christ and is biblically based and is biblically true. And we believe in the precious word of God that's actually the word from God himself to mankind. We believe that that word can not only transform people, bring them into relationship with Christ, but it can also help them to grow in their faith and can help us all to become more Christ-like. And so we think this is a vital ministry that we need to carry on into the future. Canada's National Bible Hour is the oldest Christian radio broadcast in North America. And we have quite a good legacy the National Religious Broadcasters uh, a year or two ago had uh, recognized us as the oldest Bible-preaching gospel broadcast in North America, and it was such an honor to receive that award. But we need to continue this in the future, and I can only pray that God's people will continue to support this broadcast. One of the ways that you can support it is to send in funds each month to help us to cover the costs of keeping the broadcast on the air, and others... I'm praying that will include us in their will. We've had some significant giving from various people who had sometimes very large estates. Those funds were able to help us carry this broadcast. It actually helps us to expand the broadcast. We're able to take on new stations when we have more funding. And so the gospel and the word of God can be presented to more and more people. And so I'm just asking you to think about this and pray about this and see if God is asking you to fund this ministry into the future for future generations, maybe for your own family 
or for others, for friends or neighbors or grandkids. Your help would be so much appreciated for many more months and years. So this is really an appeal to ask you to consider a generous gift at the present time and also a legacy gift to help us to continue this broadcast. For more information about legacy giving, you can call our Canadian office at 905-684-1401 or you can call our American office at 716-688-5048. May the Lord bless you and thank you so much for considering this and praying for us. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This month, we're offering a wonderful, wonderful booklet entitled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. This booklet is really rich in that it describes the prophecy from the Old Testament. Then it gives the Old Testament reference and the verse. And then it gives the New Testament fulfillment that Jesus did during his ministry. And so it's just a wonderful companion to your Bible study as you see the wonderful fulfillments of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. There are a hundred of them listed here. It's a wonderful opportunity to see how God has used men and women over the years to prophesy about the coming Messiah, and those prophecies have been accurately and literally fulfilled in the New Testament. And it really lets you see how God has preserved his word over all these years. And we know if all the prophecies of Jesus coming and his first advent are true, we know that the prophecies for the second advent, which are many, many more, will also be fulfilled literally just like the first hundred were fulfilled. So to get your copy, you can write to Candace National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231, and just say 100 Prophecies, and we'll be sure to forward your copy ASAP. Thank you.
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, Faith Once Delivered. Printed copies are available upon request. In our series of talks on the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, we come today to one of the most stupendous revelations in the inspired scriptures. I refer to the fact that someday the Lord Jesus Christ will appear in the clouds of heaven, and in the twinkling of an eye, remove from this earth everyone who has received him as their Savior. I'm not talking about abstract religious symbolism, but about a literal coming event that will profoundly affect every person on this earth. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, the exact words the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to write concerning that great event to come. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Three things make the event here foretold one of the most important and significant revelations of the faith once delivered. The first is its nature. Think of it. Christ himself will appear in the clouds and remove from this earth instantaneously millions of men and women, boys and girls, including all those who have died trusting in Christ, who will be resurrected and caught up together with the living believers to meet the Lord in the air and return to heaven with him. Can you imagine a more stupendous event? Secondly, its nearness. The appearing of Christ to remove his church is the next great prophetic event scheduled to take place. It may happen at any time. Thirdly, the consequences of the event underscore its magnitude. For every spiritually reborn child of God, it will mean their home going without tasting death. To be with Christ and with their resurrected loved ones who died trusting in him. What an hour that will be. For the unbelieving world, it will mean the instant end of this age of God's grace that already has lasted nearly 2,000 years. It will mean being left behind in a godless world in which the satanic antichrist will then emerge, no longer restrained by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the people of God. That will usher in the time of which Christ said, Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Frequently, even among Christians, what the Bible teaches about Christ's appearing for his church is confused with what it foretells about his ultimate second coming to establish his millennial kingdom on this earth. The two events are distinct and separate, and the points of distinction are clearly discernible in the scriptures. In the first place, Different terms are used for the two events. The term appear or appearing is used when the reference is to Christ appearing in the clouds to remove his church, as in Colossians 3, 4, 1 Peter 5, 4, 1 John 3, 2, 2 Timothy 4, 8, and Titus 2, 13. The term coming is used when the reference is to Christ coming to earth to set up his millennial kingdom as in Matthew 16, 28, 24, 27, Mark 13, 26, and Luke 21, 27. Secondly, the nature of the two events is distinctly different. When Christ appears for his church, 
He comes only as far as the clouds, and the saints will be caught up to meet him in the air. At Christ's coming to establish his millennial kingdom, he will come all the way to earth. Zechariah 14.4 says, His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. It is significant that when Christ returns, he will touch down at the exact spot on the Mount of Olives, from which he ascended to heaven after his resurrection nearly 2,000 years ago. Christ's appearing in the clouds to remove his church will be without warning and invisible to the unbelieving world. They will be aware of it only because of the instantaneous disappearance of the millions of Christian people. When Christ comes the second time, Luke 21, 25 to 27 says, There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Matthew 24:27 adds, As the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Another distinction is the fact that Christ appears for his saints, whereas when he comes, he will come with his saints. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He appears to remove his church from the earth before the godless Antichrist emerges on the world scene. Then later he comes with his saints to destroy the Antichrist at the great battle of Armageddon as described in Revelation 19:11-21. There are those who preach and teach that the church will remain on earth and go through what the Bible speaks of as the time of great tribulation, precipitated by the Antichrist, when he becomes the supreme head of a holy materialistic and militaristic world government for which many influences are preparing the way today. It is important, therefore, that Christians especially know precisely what the Scriptures say on this important matter. One of the clearest passages is 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-12. The Apostle Paul there says, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Notice his reference to the two events. First, to Christ's second coming, and secondly, to the time of our gathering together unto him. That is the translation of the church at Christ's appearing. His appeal in verse 2 is that they be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, the day of Christ is a Bible term referring to Christ's second coming. Paul goes on in verse 3, That day, that is the day of Christ's coming, shall not come until a number of things have taken place. He then enumerates them in reverse order. That is, he traces them back from Christ's second coming. 
That day of Christ's second coming, he says, will be preceded by a time of falling away. That is a time of great apostasy. The time of apostasy will be preceded by the revelation of the Antichrist, whom Paul refers to as the son of perdition and describes in verse 4. In verse 6, he explains that something is preventing the Antichrist emerging on the world scene. In verse 7, he uses the words let and letteth, words which when our Bible was translated into English meant hinder or hindereth. Where Paul speaking today, he would say, He who now hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And then, verse 8 says, Shall that wicked, or wicked one, the Antichrist, be revealed? The reference to someone hindering the revelation of the Antichrist is clearly a reference to the divine person of the Holy Spirit, whose role in and through the church of Christ is to reprove the world of sin and hold iniquity in check until Christ completes the formation of his body, the church, and removes it from this earth. As long as the Holy Spirit and the church of Christ remain in this world, they will hinder and withhold the Antichrist from emerging on the world scene. When at Christ's appearing, he removes both his church and the Holy Spirit. Their restraining influence will be gone. Then, Paul says, will that wicked one, the Antichrist, be revealed. His emergence will trigger a wave of universal apostasy, the time of falling away, that will precede Christ's return with his saints to end the Antichrist tyranny at Armageddon and establish the kingdom of heaven on this earth. It is clear from this that Christ will remove his church and the Holy Spirit before the Antichrist is revealed and the time of great tribulation begins. Verse 10 says, The Antichrist then will work with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perished, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. It further says that for this cause, that is, because they rejected the truth of the gospel, God will permit them to believe the lies of the Antichrist that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Certainly this underscores how terribly dangerous it is to reject the truth of the gospel. No, the church of Christ will not be here when the Antichrist imposes his godless dictatorship on men and nations, mistakenly persuaded that a world government headed by a super world leader is the road to a secure and peaceful tomorrow rather than allegiance to the Christ of God. The Apostle Paul further confirms the prior removal of the Christ church when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we close, let us examine precisely what the Scriptures say will take place when Christ appears to remove his church. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, we read, Behold, I show you a mystery. We, that is Christians, shall not all sleep, that is die physically, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Or the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The passage we read from 1 Thessalonians 4, 
The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice the sequence. The Lord himself will descend to the clouds of heaven with a shout, echoed by the voice of an archangel. The trumpet of God will sound twice. At the first trump, the dead in Christ will come forth from their graves. The trumpet will then sound again, and at the last trump, all living believers in Christ, together with the resurrected saints, will be changed. That is, will be given glorified resurrection bodies, and together will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Such will be the translation, or as it is fittingly called, the rapture of the church. It is also referred to in Scripture as the blessed hope. Paul says in Titus 2, 11 to 13, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Specifically, the blessed hope is the hope of acquiring a glorified resurrection body and entering heaven without having to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. The hymn writer expressed it in these words, What joy, what delight should we go without dying? No sickness, no sorrow, no pain, and no crying. Caught up in the clouds in a moment of glory when Jesus receives his own. Adding to the joy and rapture of our translation will be our reunion with Christian loved ones and friends who have preceded us to glory. What a day of reunions that will be! No wonder the blessed hope and full assurance that Christ will someday translate his redeemed saints from this earth to be forever with him is one of the greatest and most glorious truths revealed in the faith once delivered unto the saints. My listening friend, what does all this mean to you? Are you ready if Christ appeared for his church today? No greater calamity could ever overtake you than to be left behind when he removes his church from this earth. Will you be taken or will you be left? It depends entirely on whether or not you have believed and obeyed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. If you have never done so before, and in the light of all that is at stake, and of the nearness of Christ appearing to remove his church, I plead with you to open your heart and life to him now and receive him as your Savior before it is forever too late. What say you? May God help you. I trust the message you just heard will be meaningful to you throughout this next week and you can apply it to your own life. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, that he gave a gift, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's a holy God, a righteous God, and can't be in the presence of sin. And so there had to be an appeasement to appease the justice of God. 
And the Lord Jesus is the one who did that for you, and he did that for me. He died there in your place because you and I and the whole world, for the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done bad things, things that we're ashamed of, things that we shouldn't have done, that we know we were wrong. And so because of those things, we need to have a Savior, and Jesus is a Savior. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He's with you all the time. He guides and directs the thoughts and intents of your heart and helps you to live a better life. If you went to booklet, The 100 Prophecies, which I think would be a great encouragement to you and a great blessing to your Bible study, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also hear past broadcasts at www.missiongo.org, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. And please continue to remember us in your prayers, and I trust that God will continue to bless your life and go with you and meet your needs throughout the next week.